Hosts Elle and Miriam are two black homeschooling moms embarking on a self-defining journey. Listen in on conversations that will encourage you to be your authentic self while uplifting your spirit and motivating your inherent potential. They're defining what culture is for their families and want you to do the same. Bring your children along too so they can meet the cleverly cultured kids. They're all for teaching the babies while they're young, adapting to the challenges of parenting, homeschooling, and being willing to learn the lessons that the children have to offer. It's all about uplifting one another and reclaiming your innate greatness. It's now time for the word of the episode. Today's word of the episode is brought to you by Nigeria. The word is kende, and it is the name given to the younger twin in the Yoruba culture. Hi, everybody. I am so excited to announce that my third book, The Ultimate Sickle Cell Activity Book, is now ready for purchase. So here's the thing. This book was written for preteens and teens to let them know more about sickle cell disease. This book educates readers from start to finish using word searches, crossword puzzles, secret codes, writing prompts, fill in the blanks, and more. The pre-sale starts now and there is a discounted price of $14.99. After June 30th, the price will be increased to $19.99. So order now. And thank you for supporting my books. I appreciate it so much. So Definitely, if you know anybody who wants to learn more about sickle cell disease, then this is the book for them. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Cleverly Changing Podcast. We have a fantastic guest for you today, Brad Please introduce yourself so that our listeners will know about you and your expertise. Okay. My name is uh, Brad Baldridge, and I specialize in what I call late-stage college planning, which is generally families that have kids in high school, and they're just trying to figure out how to deal with planning and paying for college. So I coach the parents, which is a little bit different. There's a lot of coaches out there that work with students on essays or what do I want to be when I grow up or all that kind of stuff. But I work on the parent side of how are we going to pay for all this? And do we have to pick that expensive school or is there lower cost options or should we be saving and investing or should we be taking loans or how are we going to be fair if we've got three kids that all want to go to college? If, you know, again, if one of them needs more, do they get more? Or if one of them does really great on scholarships and his costs are low, 
Do they get some sort of bonus because they worked hard on scholarships where the others didn't? You know, again, those kind of questions and just kind of working it all out for families. Awesome. I know you guys are super excited about this podcast and this episode. It is definitely going to be a treat. We also have our co-host on the show today. (laughs) Miriam, tell everybody who you are and then we're going to jump into the conversation. My people. Hey, y'all. I'm Miriam. I am a freelance writer and editor and an urban gardener. Uh, excuse me, urban farmer. I guess it's a garden too. Same difference. Farmer is just bigger. Um, and I have four young ones. Uh, the oldest, I guess I would be one of the scramblers. She's 15. She's a freshman in high school. And I have the other three that are five, eight, and nine. And I homeschool the younger three, the eldest that's left by care. But it's okay. Um, yeah, I think that's good, right? Yes, that's me. Y'all have heard me before. And if you're new, hey. <laughs> yes, that is perfect, Miriam. Thanks so much for sharing. Like Miriam just mentioned, we are now in the thick of it. It would be late stage planning for us because our kids are, my kids are entering high school next year and Miriam's daughter is already in high school. And so we want to go ahead and jumpstart this conversation. So for those of you who are thinking, hey, I know my kid is getting older and saving for college seems overwhelming. I'm a homeschool family. I'm already spending money for academics. What can I do to put a small amount aside? Like, do you have any advice for me to put a small amount aside and start saving for my kids' future college education? Yes, right. So saving and investing for college is one piece of the puzzle for most families, but don't get you know overwhelmed by the idea. You don't have to save the entire college nest egg you know, so that when they turn 18 and are off to college, it's all there and ready to go. Almost no families do that. Um, I mean, there's a few out there that can afford to do that, but most families are going to pay for college with a combination of saving and investing, loans, need-based aid, merit aid, scholarships, uh, student contributions. Students often work and students could take their own loans. So there's all these different pieces of the puzzle. So a typical college is paid for by a combination of many different pieces. So another way to maybe think about it is, well, maybe we can save a third. Maybe the student can be responsible for a third. Maybe we could pay a third out of pocket when we're there. And again, that's just one idea. Everybody's plan looks a lot different usually because of, again, things like cash flow and that type of thing, where, you know, maybe in your, you're in your peak earning years and in you know, which is typical, right? You're 40 or 50 now with now that you have older kids going to college and maybe you're, you you know, your business has grown and you've got some cash flow now that you didn't have. But other families are in a completely different situation where maybe COVID wiped you out. Now you're really struggling to, you know, maybe patch together their loans to make it all work. Um, so, but if you're going to save, you know, again, Sometimes you want to save flexible. Sometimes you want to save very specific for college. 
And that's why I like late stage planning a little bit more. When you have a high school sophomore and you say, it looks like they're going to go to college, you kind of know what you're talking about. I mean, they're, they're academically capable. You know that. They're talking about careers potentially that require college degrees. Whereas you've got the four-year-old and it's like, oh, college someday. And they're going to be an astronaut or a cowboy. Um, you know, one needs a degree, one doesn't, you know, and obviously that's probably not accurate either. Um, so it's kind of a work in progress. And I guess that's another important point is college planning. Generally, you got to roll with it because students don't know what they want to be when they grow up and they change their mind. You know, they're 16, they could have three choices in two months. And that's normal for some kids. Other kids are very focused and say, this is my path. And they never waver. Um, so I think the biggest challenge for most families is to realize that it's not hard, but it is a little bit complex and it's just going to take some time to learn the jargon, to visit the schools, to figure out the path. And most families don't start early enough, in my opinion. Um, I think you need to target freshman, sophomore year of high school versus where what we did as parents, a lot of us didn't really think much about college till end of junior year or even senior year. And that just doesn't work these days for most families. You mentioned just now that most of us start later. Can you kind of break down what an ideal timeline would look like for starting um, to plan for college? Right, yeah. So. Again, when we start talking about late stage versus early stage, so early stage is we're in that situation where we don't know much, but we just think college is coming and we're going to prepare, whether that's buying a smaller house so that we can save for college or taking a second job so we can or whatever. Right. But it's very broad picture. Once you start rolling into high school, now we're starting to talk about specific colleges and what state do you live in and what state programs do they offer? And what does this flagship state school look like? And does it offer the majors we want versus the private schools in the area versus uh, we really want to go out of state or whatever it might be, you know, so now that's becoming more real. Um, so I think that's a big piece of the puzzle is. So the timeline. Is parents can do a lot of stuff without the student. You can start figuring out, will you qualify for need-based aid? Will you qualify for merit aid? And probably should do that sophomore year, let's say. Start getting your feet wet and understanding it. Now, your student could also be doing visits sophomore year. I've done visits with two of my kids sophomore year. One of my kids was not old, not mature enough um, where we didn't do anything sophomore year. We didn't start till junior year. Um, but two of my kids, and again, we didn't do... Um, real in-depth visits. It was just, hey, let's go check out a college. There happens to be something going on locally here. It starts at 10 in the morning. We'll hang out. We'll do whatever we want to do. And when we're tired of it, we'll just leave because it's a 20-minute drive. And if, you know, and if we stay for three hours, great. If we stay for six hours because you're enjoying it, that's fine too. And you can afford to do that, you know, if you start early enough where you can kind of take some baby steps into it. Whereas I have the you know, people that come to me with seniors and they're saying, oh my God, we're in over our head and we don't know what to do. And we haven't even visited a college yet. And 
those families are really struggling because they've got so much to do and so many decisions to make that the pressure and the overwhelm is is very real and starting earlier and and you know again working your way into it makes sense for a lot of families okay so what i'm hearing here is that this is a lot more complex although it can be simple but it seems like it's a lot more complex and it's highly individualized so i guess what i'm asking is well you kind of answered a little bit um college tours so what would be like the your top three recommended steps just to like you know find find your your path would the first step be to hire someone to help you ask these questions because when you said maybe they could pay for a third and i'll pay for a third and you know i was like oh i never you know really thought about how the the possible how many possibilities there are for breaking that down to figure out what's you know feasible and what's not right so i'm wondering are is there like a a beginner's checklist where you know is you know like three simple things like bottom of the barrel things that can be done that can help you to really get on the good foot mm -hmm. Yeah. So, right. So yeah, on my website, we've got a couple of those types of things, you know, the top five things juniors should be doing now. Oh. Um, but as a way to think about it by the, the timeline, right. The colleges have all kinds of deadlines, but they're all the senior year of high school. So the senior at the beginning of the senior year, they say, fill out your applications for admission, fill out your applications for financial aid, the middle of the senior year, they're going to give you offers and if they accept you, right? They're going to accept you, waitlist you, deny you, whatever it might be, and then start giving you some financial information. And then by May of your senior year, you filter through all that stuff and you pick a college. There really are no deadlines in the junior year, but the junior year is your opportunity to be prepared for the senior year. You don't want to be doing the junior year stuff in the senior year because there's plenty to do in the senior year already around applying and all that kind of stuff. So by the end of the junior year, I recommend families have a good working school list. You know, these are the five, eight, 10, three, whatever it is, schools that we're likely to apply to. And not only do we like them, but we like them from an academic standpoint. It has our meets our needs. You know, some kids are like, I want to be in that big stadium with 50,000 of my closest friends cheering on my team. Other kids are like, no, what I, I like that intimate small feel. Um, and a lot of kids say, I have no idea what I like. I, I don't know what we're talking about. How does this work? So then it's a challenge of, well, let's visit a big school. Let's visit a small school. Let's figure out what's important. Um, you know, so that's part of the process, right? It's getting those visits in and understanding what the options are. And that's, you know, so again, by the end of the junior year, we've got this list. Well, to build the list, we're going to have to do visits and research of some sort. And visits don't have to be on campus in person anymore. I recommend you do some of those, but there's also because of COVID, a lot of the colleges built some pretty robust virtual visits and webinars and other ways to gather information without actually having to be there. So for some families, the right answer might be to do some sort of online work first, and then maybe go visit if you like what you see, especially if it's like, well, you know, we live in New York city and we're looking at schools in California it's a big deal to go to California and visit the schools. 
let's figure out if they are a good fit before we make the effort. Um, so that's visits and research. Uh, the other piece of the puzzle is testing, right? There's the ACT or SAT test. Um, there's the opportunity to test optional. I don't know what the right answer is for your family. Some kids like testing and do well at testing and it's a feather in their cap. So they would want to do it. Other kids hate testing and don't do well and would, would really like to never do it at all. Um, and both of those are options depending on the schools you're looking at. So and that's another piece of the puzzle, right? If, if I'm looking at these schools, do they require testing and what kind, what kind of scores do they like to see? Because I've seen situations where it's like, okay, the test scores in these schools don't line up. Either you need better test scores or you need different schools. This, you know, what you're doing here is not going to work. You're just not going to get accepted very well. And, or it's going to be very expensive because if you're an average or a below average student, you're less likely to get scholarships. Um, so that's, and then the other piece of it is what, uh, you know, as I've implied is all the financial stuff. Will you get scholarships at these colleges? Will you get scholarships outside of, you know, where mom and dad work or play? Or is the student have a black belt in Kung Fu and likely to win some scholarships with that? Um, do we know those scholarships exist? What are the odds of us winning them? You know, so there's all this work that can be done around how are we going to pay for it? Understanding the loans. You know, a lot of families don't believe in loans until I, you discover that, well, it's got to get paid somehow. You need $10,000. If you, you don't want a loan, well, fine, write a check. Well, I don't have 10000 Okay, well, <laughs> I you know I, I don't know what to tell you, right? I mean, so loans are a piece of the puzzle for some families, and if your goal is to not have loans, that's fine, but it has to be based in reality. You know, the average family, let's say, that earns a hundred thousand dollars is probably going to pay ten to twenty thousand minimum out of pocket for college every year because they're not going to qualify for a lot of the highly need-based aid. Therefore, it's got to come from somewhere. And the way the system is set up, you know, the financial aid system says it's going to come from mom and dad. If mom and dad say, no, it isn't, okay, well, then the student could potentially borrow it with a co-signer. But there's some reality, again, where I get calls all the time where people are saying, can you please show me where all these loans, my student, where they can borrow all this money? And the reality is your student cannot borrow unlimited amounts of money for college. Mom and dad often can borrow unlimited amounts of money but the student cannot, or at least mom and dad is going to have to co-sign. So there, you know, that's a myth out there that students graduate with hundred thousand dollars in debt. It's like, no, the typical student undergrad can't borrow that kind of money without mom and dad either being on the loan or at least co-signing the loan, which therefore means there's an adult in the room that should be, you know, giving good advice around, well, do you really want to borrow this kind of money? And is there another choice? Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. So you're touching on something that makes me think back to when Miriam and I were in college because we met in high school and we went to college around the same time. And I remember being in college and I, I did get scholarships, but the price of college was so much more than the tuition they actually had on their website. And so I had to take out student loans, but my mom was elderly at that time because she had me at an older age. And so I had to 
um, have a letter from her and I was able to get some student loans where she didn't co-sign because she was right. elderly. And so I remember like needing to get student loans for housing and mm -hmm. to pay for my books. So can yep. you kind of unpack the reality of the cost of college, what other things parents should be thinking about. And you touched on it when it's not just college, it's also the tests, because I remember having to pay for AP tests. We didn't go to, Miriam and I both went to a private school, so we had to pay for our AP test and we had to pay for the ASAT and the SAT. So those are just some of the costs, but when you actually get into college, you're paying for a lot more. Can you unpack what some of those costs are? Yes, sure, right. I remember those and not so fondly either. <laughs> exactly, right. So to so there's, again, a lot of great information on my website again, I'll plug it one more time here, but there's a what's cost of colleges by state, which is you go to the resources tab um, or you just, search the website or whatever. And there's a chart there for every state that shows the total cost of many of the colleges in that state. And then what the net cost is by income. So it might say that the state school all in costs 27,000. On average, if your income is between 45 and 75,000, those people tend to pay 15,000 out of pocket, which implies that there's 10,000 of aid somewhere else. Um, so that's out there. Now, again, that's useful, but don't hang your head on it as far as that's the way it's going to work for you because that's average. And what we don't know is if that was the average, did some people pay zero and some people pay full price and that's why it averages what it averages? Or was it some other combination? So, but like I said, it's a good place to get a reality check of, if, you know, if you're thinking that you're a relatively high income earner and you're only willing to spend 5,000 on college, it's going to be really hard to make it come together. Whereas if you're a lower income earner, maybe 5,000 is what you're going to need to make it work um, because of the variations in aid. And there's like, as an example, there's a lot of state programs out there that will cover all of tuition if you meet these certain financial eligibility requirements. In my state, if you earn less than 65,000 AGI, tuition is free at our flagship state school. Now you got to get accepted to the flagship state school to begin with, and that's a challenge. You know, they only take the top 10 or 20% of students. Um, so, but if you can get in and you meet the financial criteria, well, then tuition is zero. So a lot of people don't realize that. So they don't even bother to apply because they think it's going to be expensive because the tuition there is 12 or 15,000, something like that. Um, so overall, the average state school right now, total cost of attendance is about 27, 28,000. So that would be tuition, all room and all for one year, right? And that's one year. That's tuition, room and board, books, fees, beer and pizza. It's the whole cost of a typical student. Um, mm -hmm. And that, so it's, you know, again, roughly 10, 11, 12,000 in tuition, 10, 11, 12,000 in room and board, $1,000 for books and a little bit of personal spending money, 2000 for personal spending, let's say. Um, and a lot of state schools, you pay close to full price, especially if your income is above the Pell Grant levels. So if your income is over 75 or 100,000, you're most likely going to pay full price. Now, a typical student can borrow 5,500 as a freshman. And a typical student could maybe earn 
say 5,000 a year between nights, weekends, summers, you know, all that type of stuff. So if you say that the student's going to pay 10, well, that's where, and it costs 27, let's say, well, then the parents will have to come up with 17. And if you've been saving a few hundred since they were babies, you might have 30 or 40,000. If you haven't been saving at all, you might borrow 30 or 40,000. Or maybe you can take it out of cash flow because you're, again, maybe your income's a little higher than it used to be and daycare is done or whatever it might be, right? So some families, you know, when working with families, I'll say things like, well, we need 1200 a month to make this work. They say, great. Other families say 1200 a month. Where do you think that's going to come from? And that's just the reality of, you know, people budget differently. People's cash flow is different. Um, so that's, you know, another piece of the puzzle, but now the average private school is 58,000 or something like that per year. But what we're leaving off is their average scholarship is 20,000. So their net cost is not nearly as, you know, their net cost is, or their, their, their published price is double or more often, but their net price often is not double because of scholarships. So a lot of private schools, especially offer scholarships, especially for the students that they're most interested in. So you, if we have, as an example, a student that's pretty strong and they can get it just, but they can just barely squeak into a competitive school, let's say Notre Dame. If they're a below average student, Notre Dame might look at them and say, you don't know, we're not gonna give you any merit aid because you're below average for us you can pay full price at 73,000 or whatever crazy number that might be. That same student could apply to a school that's not quite as competitive and get a 25 or $30,000 scholarship. And then they could apply to some of these schools where they offer the presidential scholarship that's a full ride, right? A lot of schools will have 12 kids or 50 kids that go for free. Maybe it's a full, maybe it's zero tuition. Maybe it's even zero tuition and room and board covered as well. You know, as an example, Stanford has said now, if your family's adjusted gross income is under $100,000, you will pay zero tuition and zero room and board guaranteed at Stanford. Now, you got to get accepted to Stanford and they accept like, 2% of their applicants and you got to be a rock star to get a, get in. But if you could get in, don't assume it's going to be expensive because they are very generous, right? So there's all these different paths, you know, the out-of-state state schools are different than the private schools and the elite privates are different than the average private and the lower end privates are different than the average privates. And there's differences in the state schools and one state is different than another state. So a lot of people make assumptions based on, well, my brother-in-law, this is the way it worked for them. So I, that's what I'm, that's the way I'm going to do it. Except maybe you don't match your brother-in-law close enough that it's actually a reality for you. You know, is your income the same as his? Is the academics of the students the same? Do you live in the same state with the same programs? Are you interested in the same schools? If that was all true. Well then yes, but that would work. But what I found is working with hundreds of families is there are groups, but there's, you know, there's 30 different types of families that you could be grouped in. And it's hard to, you know, see the big picture until you've really understand how it's going to work specifically for you. 
Yeah, I just want to say thank you for providing that little silver lining there. Because when you threw those numbers, I was like, wait a minute. And then, so in my mind, I was thinking, when I, okay, so this was a while ago, not that long ago. I don't feel like it was, but obviously it was that much longer ago. So when I was in college, in state, it was nowhere near that much. But then I remembered, okay, wait, I wasn't living on campus. And then even when I did move on campus, it wasn't that much. And so now you got me thinking, well, daggone, how, how much increase has happened right. between then and now? And especially seeing that we are not really on the heels, but we're... <clears throat> excuse me, still living in a kind of COVID world where, you know, money has shifted and, you know, pay rates and job availability and all these different factors are not what they once were for many people. Yeah. It makes me wonder how, how or if any of these schools have made any real shifts to accommodate that you know other than the you know the overarching things that the government's trying to do oh we'll give you guys this amount of dollars and this tax right. break if you have x y and z right but are there any other schools that you know of doing anything to kind of you know mediate there oh yes i mean especially at the state level i've i'm i've been doing podcasts with the the various state administrators that run their higher education. So these are the departments that run the state schools and run the community colleges, but they also provide the scholarships and the back to school and all the different programs in each state. And, you know, like New York has something called the Excelsior Scholarship and, and every state has these different programs, some more than others, but they're all concerned about the fact that college is so expensive. So on one side, we say we're all concerned about college being expensive. On the other hand, we're always saying things like, well, we want small classes. Well, small classes are expensive because you need more professors and you want them to be good professors. And people that are good at this type of thing get paid well and they have a PhD. And if you don't pay them well, they go somewhere else to work. Right. They can go into industry. Right. A typical business or computer science professor could just go do computer science and make lots of money. If you want them to teach, you got to pay them something that's comparable. And that's the reality, right? So, and then uh, there's lots of demands on the colleges where they say you have to accept all types of students and you got to be able to handle disabilities and you got to be able to handle all these things. And by the way, those old buildings on your campus, they're historic landmarks. You can't just tear them down. You've got to do the right thing and you got to put an elevator in it though, that old building. You can't tear it down, but it has to have an elevator. So now you're talking about a huge project that's crazy expensive. And then we complain that college is expensive. We put all these rules and regulations around, you know, all these things that colleges have to do. And then they we say, and colleges are, have all these administrators. It's like, well, yeah, they have all these rules they're supposed to meet. How are they going to meet the rules without the administrators? Um, so we kind of get what we ask for, but it's kind of that circular challenge of, it is what it is for most, you know, and again, if you have a, you're a parent of a junior or senior, that's all philosophical and 
it is what it is. That's the reality is what we're going to have to figure it out. I mean, the good news is if you look at a college campus, most of them have lots of students. So lots of families have figured it out. So it, it can be done. Um, the challenge is some of those families might be doing it foolishly where they're just signing up for big loans. And other of those families might not be doing it foolishly. It's kind of like when you get on an airplane, right? And the airplane's full and you say, oh, I think I got a good deal. And, you know, and maybe other people got better deals. But a few people walked up and said, I need to be in Boston tomorrow morning. Here's my credit card. Make it happen. And they got, you know, they paid way too much, but they didn't care because they had an emergency. You know, whatever it is. I mean, that's that's the reality, right? And it's the same with colleges of if you know what you're doing and you look under all, all the rocks and you do it well, it's more likely you'll get a price that's good, but it isn't guaranteed. There's some situations where, you know, again, if you're relatively high income with a below average student, you might end up saying, well, here's my choices. Pay full price at a state school, pay close to full price at these private schools. I guess we'll take the state school because their list price is lower, but I have to pay full price everywhere where you have a strong academic or an athlete or a strong leader or someone that has some scholarship stuff or strong tests or whatever it is. Now he might be scholarship or she might be scholarship material at these types of schools and get a better deal. Um, or they might be an athlete and they can get a better deal. Or maybe there's a school out there that's struggling to fill their history department and you, you have a history major. And he gets a better deal just because they're saying we, you know, we need enough history majors to make the program go, go get 10 more, whatever it costs. That could happen, right? So there's all this stuff going on behind the scenes. And it is just a process. And either you can, you know, way back when one of your questions was, well, how do we, we navigate all this? Should we just go hire someone? Um, maybe you should. I think, you know, I think some people should for sure. If you've if you're an entrepreneur and you and you're making reasonable money and you're saying I could spend Sunday afternoons for the next year and a half figuring all this out or I could hire someone and then go grow my business you're probably more efficient because you learn how to do college and you do it once or twice if you have one or two kids you know it's it's a big learning curve and you again if you could increase your sales by 10% if those numbers are substantially more than what it would cost to hire someone, then the, the you know the answer is obvious. Go grow your business because that's going to be year over year over year. College is only once or twice. Um, so, and there's a lot of people out there that can help. It's a new burgeoning industry, um, especially around, you know, what do I want to be when I grow up? How do I choose a major? How do I do all this college application process? And then my specialty, which is working with the parents on the financial side, there's a lot, lot less of us, but there are a few of us. And obviously, you know, if you're interested, you can give us a call or you can listen to our podcast and get started. Or, and I'm also working on building a couple of courses that, you know, people can kind of meet me halfway and just say, well, I'll do the course and see how it goes. It's kind of like taxes or fixing your car. You know, some people have the aptitude to fix their car, but they just don't want to. I could change my brakes, but I earn enough money now that I'd rather pay someone to do it. And other people are like, I, I couldn't do it if I wanted to. I have to pay someone to do it because I'm just not interested, right? So there's some people out there that already hire financial advisors, already hire accountants, already hire 
And then having a college specialist on the team is probably makes sense. Other people like to do it themselves and there's nothing wrong with that either. Just realize that it's a, to do it well, you got to have to spend some time learning and, you know, and again, I've got people that listen to my podcasts and go to my website and just plug in and they handle most of it on their own. So it can be done. It's just a decision that families need to decide. Oh, I I just want to say two quick things. So you mentioned the behind the scenes. So I'm wondering how can I get a sneak peek behind those scenes? Because there's a whole lot going on. I know I went to a university of Maryland and it's even now there's always projects going on. I don't think it has ever stopped ever since, man, it's been a long time. And so what you're saying about them not being able to do certain things to the buildings and whatnot and having to make certain adjustments. I was like, Oh, so that's why, but then yet we're still adding on more and more. And then, you know, there's other little things where they're trying to fill departments and keep programs open and whatnot. So I was just wondering where might we be able to get a little ear to the ground on some of that to be able to help navigate that space a little better. And I also wanted to know, so is it feasible or is it even a a good idea to try to go international with the uh, higher education? I hear tell that things are a little more affordable, but at the same time, if you're not really a citizen, I don't know if that works. Yeah, yes, exactly. So if you happen to have dual citizenship with Canada or England or something like that, yeah, that citizenship, you can avail yourself of being a, paying the citizen price in Canada, which is a very lower number than what a typical international student. So most colleges in the U.S. and abroad have different rates for, you know, for the locals versus the international. Now here in the U S it's a big industry. We bring in a lot of foreigners that come to our top universities and our middle universities and our lower universities, and they pay full price or nearly full price. And it's one of the ways that some of the colleges are able to be more generous to families that need it is because they have a lot of out of state kids or out of country kids that are coming and paying that full out of state price. Right. So out of state at UCLA is 75,000 or something crazy. And kids and, you know, some wealthy Chinese person to say, okay, that's fine. We'll pay it if we can get, you know, because we really want to get there. Um, And then UCLA can say for kids that need help, your cost is 10,000. And then they can balance the books that way. Uh, So some colleges are doing stuff like that. Other colleges are not. But there's a, who gets in and why is a book that came out recently and the price you'll pay for college by Ron Lieber is another one of them is a bright yellow book and one was a green book. I'll get you links if you need them. Um, but they are, they're good at, they kind of explain the problem. They don't give you the solutions to the problem, but they kind of give you the, the behind the scenes and talk a little bit about the problem, right? There's a lot of families as an example that are really concerned about getting into one of those top schools, whether it's, the, you know, the top, very top tier, you know, the Ivy league and Stanford and Harvard and those kind of schools, or whether it's just a, a name brand school, like 
you know, people have heard of Notre Dame, but nobody's heard of, you know, Gaucher or something, right? Whatever it is, right? So some people feel that's important, some don't, but they kind of address that where there's all this, all these people falling over each other to get into Harvard, as an example, to the point where Harvard, for a lot of families, could be full price. But if you need it, they are also very generous on a need-based side, but they don't offer any scholarships. So if you have a high-end family, you're going to pay full price no matter how brilliant your kid is at Harvard. Whereas that brilliant kid at some other school might get might get a full ride. Um, and Harvard has that cachet where people say, okay, well, if that's what it's going to take, I'll write the check. Whereas a lot of other schools don't have that power that that they can get full price from anybody and everybody if they want. Um, so again, it's it's kind of this combination of politics and pricing power and nostalgia and prestige all rolled into one, right? And why are parents willing to do it? Well, for a lot of cases, it's like we had a blast in college. We thought it was fantastic and we want that for our kids. And we're willing to do whatever it takes to make it happen. And colleges have been taking advantage of that. And they raise the prices and the kids still come. And they raise the prices and the kids still come. So why not raise the prices? <laughs> right? I mean, that's the bottom line. With COVID and what's been going on recently, now what's been happening is they raise the prices and they're not able to get the kids to come. So they have to increase the scholarship. So the net cost of college has not been going up. You know, there's a, you, you hear these rumors, right? Well, college has been going up twice inflation for the last 20 years, that which is relatively true, but it's probably not going up double inflation for the next 20 years. It's kind of gotten to the point where at every price point, right? If your family earns 300,000, Harvard at full price is painful. If your family earns 100,000, the state school at full price is painful. And if your family earns 25,000, the local state school with lots of aid and the net cost of 7,000 is painful. And that's what they've done essentially. For every group, they've raised the price to get to the point where it's painful enough that people have, you know, they can't really just keep going. There are starting to get some pushback at every level where again, even the wealthy will say, I don't think I want to spend 85,000 a year for Harvard, even though it is Harvard. It just doesn't seem worth it to me. So we'll look elsewhere. So, you know, like I said, so it's kind of a philosophical and that's all well and good. But the reality is if you've got a high school junior, you're going to have to deal with, you have to deal with the system we have because it's probably going to continue for the next five or 10 years. And yes, they're trying to reform, but the, the challenge with reform is they keep bolting on more stuff. So it just gets a little more complicated. You know, we add, you know, the state added this program for this group and the federal government added this program for this group. And now to qualify for this program, your income has to be like this and your kid has to be like that. And if you're pursuing, you know, teaching, we're struggling with getting teachers in our state. So we've got special programs for students that want to study to be teachers. Well, now you have to know about that program and then go to the right school and pick the right major. And then you get to take advantage of the program. But now you've got to understand that the there's all these programs out there and it gets that's where it gets very complicated. Um, again, in an effort to help, it got complicated. Awesome. I feel like there is so 
much more we can ask you, but we have one more question that I wanted to ask. And that is, I'm right now in the thick of things because my daughters are about to enter high school. And so I'm really trying to balance saving for retirement and saving for their college education. Do you have any tips for parents who are in the same position trying to save for both? Yeah, well, I guess, first of all, right, and that's where, again, where having some idea of where you stand and how much you're willing to spend on college. I mean, what is your budget? Are, are you saying, I'm willing to spend 25000 a year for college? And if I can't retire till 70, so be it. If you know, versus I intend to retire at 58, no matter what happens. And if they have to pay their own college, so be that, right? It gets, you know, it's a combination of a, you know, just like anything else in our budget, right? It would be great to take the whole family to Paris. It's just not a reality um, for most families, right? For some families it is, but it's playing that game of, well, if we buy lesser cars for the, over the, you know, in the future, we can afford more college. Is college our number one goal? Because I see that a lot where people, parent, they say, well, here's our number one thing, retirement. Here's our number two thing, college. And then when we start talking about, well, you need to save here and you need to save there. Well, we don't have any money. It's like, what do you mean? You earn 10,000 a month or 12,000 a month or 15,000 a month. Where's it all going? Well, everywhere except retirement and college. So, and again, I'm not saying you should or shouldn't do anything, but that, I think that's the reality. But you know what you're saying is a complex thing. It's like, can we afford to do it all? Maybe, but you might have to cut, I don't know, sports for the kids, right? There, there are a lot of kids get involved in gymnastics or traveling soccer or something, and you add it all up and you say, well, gee, that's 8000 a year we're paying for all that. Is that, I mean, is soccer more important than college? It's more fun than college saving perhaps, but is it truly more important? I don't know. That's your call. I mean, you could deliver pizzas on Friday night and make that 8,000 back, but now we're talking about time. So there's always that give and take and there's not a right or wrong answer. But I think what happens is people forget about college and then surprise, you need an extra 3,000 a month to make college happen. And it's not that they don't have it. It's like, well, we learned how to spend it because we bought a bigger house. And we learned how to spend it because we bought a couple of new cars recently. And we learned how to spend it because we allowed the kids to get involved in club soccer or, you know, whatever. And didn't realize that college was sneaking up on us. Right. I think the time goes by really fast when it comes to college. What I've encountered, because I'm a mom of twins, so when my kids go off to college, it's going to be at the exact same time. And so what I realized, um, and it, it was this year that my daughter came to me and said she wanted to go to the top high schools in the area. And these high schools are $45,000 for each kid. Of course, we um, apply for financial aid, but we didn't get any financial aid. And so as a parent, you want your kids to go to the top schools, even if it's the top high school, because those top high schools will get them into the top colleges. But I think at the end of the day, I had to ask myself, is there any other way that we can accomplish this 
like, do we really delay retirement so that my kid can go to this school? I, I don't know, you know, what the right answer is, but it is a real scenario that, you know, my husband and I are facing right now. And I know when he was um, applying to colleges, he did get into some top schools. One of the schools I remember, he said he got into Princeton and I was like, well, why didn't you go? And he was like, because my family said they weren't going to, you know, pay for it. And so I think as families, you know, many of us are doing a lot better financially than our parents were. But that mm-hmm. actually causes us to have more limitations in some ways, depending on um, you know what the income levels are. But I, I find that we have some limitations to our children's academics and their education, like what schools they can actually go to. And so I, I find myself saying, yes, I wanna give my child the best, but can we really, is it wise for us to kind of um, put all that money into a secondary school? You know, I, I think this is these are real questions that families are asking themselves. Oh, absolutely. Um, and one of the things that frustrates me is when you look at a lot of these private schools, one of their their little games they play is they, well, our students got. million in scholarships last year. And of course the, a strong public school in the neighborhood didn't add it up. So you don't know, but the reality of it is lots of kids from the public school got scholarships too. So it might've been 58 million at the public school, right? So it's, it's a, a spurious logic, so to speak, where again, yes, being a strong kid from a strong school, could give you the leg up at certain situations, but a lot of colleges will give you the benefit of the doubt. You know, if you look at things like getting into med school, it doesn't matter where you did your undergrad. You got to be a top kid and do the right things. And it doesn't matter. You'll Maybe you can't get into Harvard's medical school because they've got a snooty attitude, but you can get into a medical school. And then, and then you think about it is when's the last time you asked your doctor, where'd you get your degree from? Oh, well, don't touch me. Right. I, you know, you went to the wrong school. Nobody cares. Right. Except for the people that went to Harvard. You'll notice that anybody that goes to Harvard always opens up with when I was at Harvard, um, they care because they get to say it, but it gets to be very challenging. So yes, what I, the analogy I like to use with families on that front is if you're giving up the lake home to spend crazy amounts of money on college, well, great. I mean, we all earn our money for, and we spend it where we want to spend it. But if you're crushing your retirement to pay crazy amounts for education, again, nothing wrong with that, but you're going to live with the consequence of you just delayed your retirement. And there is probably a plan B or a plan C that would maybe not cost quite as much. It may not have the name, right? It may not have, you know, certain features, but a whole lot of people have been very successful without going to that particular high school or that particular college or that particular. Um, And what gets left off the discussion is it has a lot more with what you do when you're there than you know, what, what the name on the door is when you get there. 
Great point. I think this has been very eye-opening. It's been a conversation that we've needed as parents. So I just thank you for your time. I feel like there's so much more we could ask you, um, but I think we'll definitely have to tell everybody where they can find your podcast, where they can connect with you, because I know families need this information because it's so valuable. So tell us, how can families connect with you? Say the name of your podcast and where you are on social media. Right. So everything is at tamingthehighcostofcollege.com. And the podcast is by the same name. So if you're in your podcast app, it's Taming the High Cost of College. Um, I'm slightly active on Facebook and that kind of stuff. I'm old. I don't do social media, um, to be quite frank. If you need to reach out to me, we have a phone number and it's on our website. <laughs> believe, it, believe it or not, you can actually just pick up the phone and call us if you'd like or send us an email. There's contact us on the pay, on the, the website. You can just reach out to us directly. You can, we do have ways to schedule preliminary appointments on the website, but I think there's a lot of great resources on, and again, cost of colleges, scholarship guide for busy parents, the podcast, you know, that covers all kinds of topics that we just don't have time to cover here. Um, and like I said, and if you're in the throes of it and you want to reach out directly, feel free. Yes, thank you so much. I am going to put all of that information in our show notes. So if you are listening and you did not jot that down, I'm sure it was easy to remember, but I am going to add it to our show notes on cleverlychanging.com. So you can go there to find each of those um, items, the name of the podcast, say it again. Tamingthehighcostofcollege.com. All right, or perfect. Miriam, did you have any final thoughts? I'm I'm of course I do, but I can't share them because it's a mess in here. I don't know how to verbalize everything. I mean, Mr. Brad, you've given us a lot to think about, a lot of considerations to consider and to try to, you know, begin to navigate that journey. I think I'm one of those ones that, oh, it's that time now. It's too late. It's not too late. But, you know, <laughs> right now I feel like you got to scramble and figure it out real quick. And I'm very appreciative of the, the words of wisdom that you have shared. Because now I kind of don't feel so adrift in trying to figure out where to start, what I need to do how I can help her, you know, I think that just from what you're saying, a lot of the struggle is figuring out the reality of your own individual situation. How much can you actually do? Where can you do? What are these scores looking like? Where do these interests lie? You know, to get a clearer picture there so that you can actually make the choices that are going to be best in your best interest. So right, I'm, absolutely. Yes, I've learned a lot. I know I'm rambling. I feel like I'm rambling. There's a whole lot of thoughts going on through here, but this was great. Thank you. You're welcome.
<laughs> Thank you so much. So everybody remember to go to cleverlychanging.com to learn more about this episode. All right, bye for now. Bye. visit cleverlychanging.com and click on the shop tab to place your order.